Welcome to the From Battle to Business podcast. In this podcast, business coach and fellow veteran Dean Van Dyke will bridge the gap between service and civilian life, helping guide veteran business owners to supercharge their business and unlock hidden profits. You wouldn't go into battle alone, and now you don't have to in business. Let's get to it. Hello, and welcome to From Battle to Business podcast with your host, Dean Van Dyke. And today, I am fortunate to have a fellow Navy veteran, Mr. Paul Perez. Paul is a skilled combat-tested executive and leadership coach, organizational trainer, consultant, and cultural transformation expert with over 30 years of experience identifying, developing, and growing leaders for progressively increasingly responsibility and success in management and executive roles across a diverse spectrum of industry verticals. As a retired executive naval officer, team building, leadership, and talent development, and driving strategic and tactical facets of mission are second nature to Paul. Paul's experience includes roles as a combat naval flight officer, Navy human resources officer, wellness coach, and management in the marketing and operations in a multi-state healthcare system. Welcome, Paul. How are you? Dean, so good to see you again. Likewise, it's been too long. It has been a while, yes, sir. So let's kick it off. Just tell us a little bit about your military experience and how it led to where you're at today with your business. Yeah, wow. So my military journey started with a dream. Uh, I was born and raised in Guam, and um, we lived right under the flight path of Naval Air Station Aganya. And, wow. and, and of course, the Naval Air Station shared the, the uh, runway with the International Airport on Guam. And so every day, all to the day, or sometimes in the middle of the night, I would hear aircraft flying right over the house on approach. Um, and one day my dad and I were out throwing the ball in our front yard. And he said to me, he said, Hey, it was just, it's just bolt out of the blue question. What do you want to do when you grow up? And I stopped the ball landed in my glove and I, and I, uh, I, I was getting ready to throw it and I put it right back in the glove and I pointed up and I said, I'm going to fly one of those. And it was an aircraft that was on approach and uh, final approach. And it was the P3 Orion, <laughs> which ended up being the aircraft that I wanted to fly in. And, you know, there's this old saying, you're hung by the tongue, right? It's like you, 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 you save something and then it kind of sets the wheels in motion. That's so I, I ended up uh, applying to the Naval Academy and to Notre Dame and, and one other uh, school in the Northeast that is an Ivy League school that I didn't get into. <laughs> but I ended up going, getting, getting into uh, Notre Dame. So I went to Notre Dame, had the ROTC scholarship and started the journey. I went to flight school. Mm-hmm. After the first five years of, uh, well, and by the way, so I had three dreams as a kid. The, the, the three dreams were to um, go to college to become a naval officer and to get married and start a family. That's just, I've always been a family man. And so my, I met uh, my wife junior year in college. We got married there at Notre Dame two days before I got commissioned. And so she was in the commissioning with me. I had a wedding ring on at the commissioning ceremony. And um, then we went off to flight school. And I did my first five years. I did a couple of combat deployments. Uh, one of them landed me in the in the Middle East for Desert Shield and Storm. And I loved it. I loved, loved, loved flying. I loved everything about, uh, you know, serving our country in that fashion. 
except being away from my wife. Mm. And we actually wanted to start a family young. Uh, and, and we did, I guess, relatively speaking, but I did not want to start a family and have my kid walking when I was on deployment. I didn't want to miss tough. those. I didn't want to miss those first, right? So mm -hmm. um, so we waited and it wasn't two days after we checked out of the squadron that she hey, I'm pregnant. We have a, you know, we have a, kid, <laughs> we have a kid on the way. And that dramatically changed the the mindset and trajectory of what I wanted to do now in the Navy. Because mm -hmm. I really wanted to be a husband. I really wanted to be a dad. And I wanted that more than to go back and pursue command in, in aviation. Uh, so I shifted gears. And serendipitously, I was blessed with an opportunity to pick up a career as a Navy Human Resources officer. And a lot of that was recruiting, but it was also career mapping, career planning, career coaching, what we now call career coaching. And the Navy, you, you remember, we called it career oh, yeah. counseling in the Navy. Career counseling, yeah, I remember right? that well. But, yeah, so, but that's what I did. And I said, golly, I really like this. I like helping people figure out what their gifts and skills and talents are. Uh, we didn't use any assessments, psychometric assessments at that time or 360 mm -hmm. type assessments, but it really introduced me to that world. Um, and in the meantime, I was also very entrepreneurial. I tried my hand at a couple of different multi-level type things and side hustles here and there. So I, I got used to what we now call the gig economy before the gig economy. And, and I just got a taste in my mouth that said, when I'm done with the Navy, I, I don't think I can work for other people. And <laughs> so when we were, when, when I retired from the Navy in 2008, um, so true story, my wife and I, for the first 20 years of our marriage, it was wonderful and it was hard. We both had a lot of stuff that as kids that we didn't get sorted out. Most of it was me, right? Most of it was me. Uh, and, and so we had a hard year. And so I didn't spend any time at all in 2008 when we were, when I was retiring from the Navy, looking for a job. I spent all that time trying to get things right with my, with my faith, with, you know, with, with the Lord, with my wife and with my sons, right? Cause I, I had become, uh, I'll just put this, I'd become an angry person in many ways. And, sure. and it was, it had strained our relationships. I'll leave it at that. So I didn't put any energy into finding a job. I put all my energy into getting my, my head out of my posterior <laughs> as a husband and a father and it and and gratefully, thank God, it it paid off. And my wife and I did some very hard work, and still do to this day. But um, we got to this beautiful day in July, and I got home from church, and it was mid July two thousand eight. I was retiring on September first, two thousand eight. Mm -hmm. I had no idea what I was going to do for a job. So, and, and and I'm saying this because you asked, how did this lead mm -hmm. to what I do? Yeah. So all these years of career coaching and career counseling and, and, and recruiting and, and, and helping people map out their career paths and uh, lots of entrepreneurial um, experience, I, I just prayed. I just said a prayer. Beautiful, sunny day in July. And I said, okay, uh, we call you Lord because you own us. That's what Lord means, Lord of the manor, right? right. I, said, I said, well, you own me. And so tell me what to do. <laughs> and I and saw, he will. Yeah. And he did. So I saw this vision. So you know how 
I don't know if they still do it, but in the old days, there was these dot matrix, these red dot matrix signs that they would scroll in now serving yeah. 38, right? Like you'd see a chip yeah. or something like that. Yeah. In my mind's eye, I saw executive coaching <clears throat> and it stopped. It scrolled in executive coaching and it stopped. So then I did what any good spirit-filled Christian would do. I Googled it. And, and when I Googled it, I said, yeah, this is it. So that's what led down this path. Nice. Love that story. It's, uh, it's interesting because, you know, having been to, you know, when I was serving in the Navy desert shield, when that went down on August 2nd of 1990, it was an interesting, that was my first deployment Mm -hmm. and we'd already been deployed for six months. Well, we just got extended for three months because no one knew what was going to happen. And, uh, so I can empathize and and I had a small one at home at that time and, mm. and it was it was tough but you know luckily Maria and Michael were able were living with my brother at the time he was in the Navy so I, I I can empathize with that and it's just it's one of the things where those of us in the military that have served in combat areas and, and in combat zones it's 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 not easy yeah. Even though it's, you know, we, we won't go into how many decades ago that was, but, you know, it's, well, I did it's an, still I with did us. an age check with you and that we were there boots <laughs> on ground at the same time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's, that's what I figured. That's what I figured. But, uh, uh, so, you know, thinking about all that experience, uh, you know, what, what's one lesson that, you know, that, that taught you that you think everyone should know should learn at some point in their life. Gosh, you know what, Dean? I could speak for hours on that. In fact, I'm putting together a workshop towards that end, but I'll make it really simple. Uh, Dale Carnegie wrote this, Mm -hmm. this timeless masterpiece called how to win friends and influence people. Right. Mm -hmm. You know, of it. It's on Um, my bookshelf. Right. It's on mine (laughs) too. And I, and I've helped a lot of people, a lot of leaders with just some very basic nuggets out of that book. Mm -hmm. Uh, But in it, there's a story where, or uh, an example where Carnegie says that every single person in the world that you meet has an invisible sign hanging around their neck that says, appreciate me. Right. Right? And the word appreciate, of course, uh, rightly divided, doesn't necessarily mean say thank you to me. That's one colloquialism. What it means is like, like think of real estate appreciation. Mm-hmm. It, ex- it expands in value. It increases in value. And what people are wanting you to do is increase them in value. Right. Like tell them they're valuable. Tell them why they're valuable or help make them more valuable. Right. One of the things that I recently, as I was thinking about that example, recently I thought to myself in terms of leadership, because dude, I was in junior ROTC in high school in Guam. 14 years old, I put on my first Navy uniform. It was salt and peppers. Remember the old salt and peppers? I do remember those. Yeah. And then <laughs> and then and then I and then I went to ROTC in college. And then I was in the fleet for 20 years. Well, not not in the fleet classically, but I was I was in the United States Navy on active right. duty for 20 yep. years. And so leadership has just been dyed into the wool of my DNA and my fabric. Um, and although I've always kept one foot in in the civilian sector so I can so I can learn how to operate with mm-hmm. the people that we serve. The military part's always been very important to me. So when I think about that Dale Carnegie thing that appreciate me, it occurred to me that every single person in the workaday world 
has an invisible sign around their 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 neck that says, mm -hmm. "Lead me, teach me how to lead." Right, and that's the valuable. That's the valuable nugget that I, that you and I both learned in the military. When, when and that's I, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Go ahead. No, I mean that's that's the one thing that's just ingrained in us is that you know, if you know, especially because I was both in the Navy and the army and mm -hmm. in the army, if someone goes down, you've got to be able to step into their shoes and keep going. Just like in the Navy, right. If, if yeah. your co-pilot goes down, you you've got, especially in the P3, you've got a crew sitting behind you. You've got to keep that thing in the air yeah. or, or get it down as quickly as possible. So yeah. exactly or, right. or bring it down safely, right? Safely. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yes. It, it wasn't yeah. designed to land on water. So yeah. yeah. It was not, but so that, so that lesson then is it, it, when I checked into my first squadron, my, my sponsor officer, who was just, he was a Lieutenant. I was a JG, Lieutenant junior grade. And um, he took me and said, okay, here's the deal. You know, here's, that's your chief over there. Get under your chief's wing. Your chief's going to teach you, you know, he calls you, sir, and you're his boss, but he's going to be your mentor. Mm -hmm. Because he knows the troops and he's going to help you succeed. He knows what their job is. And as a division officer, you need to learn how to, how to lead these, these people. But then the second thing he said to me was always be training your relief. And a lot of people look at success as accomplishing whatever it is, the thing that you set out to do. But I like to, I like to also, they, they tend to forget. And mo, I mean, in fact, I would say most people forget that actually success requires a successor. Right. And that's why the United States Navy, even though it was born in 1776 or 1775, whatever it is, right. It, it still exists because baked into the plan is we're always training our relief. And so the reason why it's still a success is because we were training our successors. That's every right. every day along the way. So when you talk about succession planning and you think about success, success should not be nearly as much as what am I going to do to get the kudos and get my ribbon and move on? It's not what I it's not what am I succeeding at, but it's who is succeeding me and who am I succeeding? Right. And it's yeah. a, it's also about, you know, as as a leader and and success it's it's really about um, how can I bring those around me with me, right? It's it's mentoring. It's just like you said, the chief is going to mentor you, even though he calls you sir. Yep. Uh, the great leaders realize that like a chief or senior enlisted is the best mentor they could ever have coming into a new command. And I've served under some some officers that didn't understand that sure and 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 that's one of the things i've ingrained in my son is hey as an officer your troops that you're going to lead those are the best people to learn from and and luckily he's he's listened to dad mm. so um uh, but uh so in all of your experience what do you think has been your biggest failure Golly. I've had too many to talk about, but yeah. at least I learned from them. But. <laughs> yeah. So let me put it to you this way. 
I think that our biggest failures redeemed become our biggest testimonies. Great. And so I think my biggest failure was that because every, every relationship we have is a relationship, right? Mm-hmm. Every work relationship. It, and so my biggest failure, uh, I would say, was probably in the fact that I failed in a lot of my relationships because of, of unrealistic or, or perfectionistic expectations, mm-hmm. and primarily in my marriage, right? But, but we did the work. We got the help. Yeah, we got down on our knees and we humbled ourselves and submitted ourselves to each other, and that cycle of rupture turned into repair, and and it's 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 rupture and repair, rupture and repair, and all relationships go through a form of rupture and repair. So, I would say yes, my biggest my biggest failure was that I was the causative agent of ruptures, but then it also became the biggest thing that I could point at and say, see. And that's, that's really what I do in, as, as an executive and leadership coach is I help people understand that leadership is a social process. And so how do we, how do we meet each other's needs? How do we state each, our needs, right? We pull it out of the implicit into the explicit and be real and manage those expectations instead of running around with unspoken expectations all the time and being angry, pissed off with each other because we're not yeah. meeting each other's unmet expectations or unspoken expectations, right? Right. I mean, that's, that's exactly right. I mean, what's, what's that saying? It's, uh, you know, we judge others by their actions, but we judge ourselves by our intentions. Our intentions. Bingo. Yeah. And, you know, when you think about that, you're right. We walk around, we're expecting something, but the other person doesn't know it. <laughs> I mean, how many times in a team has that happened? And, and you know, as I led, led teams throughout my, my career as well, and, and continue to do today, it, you know, if you have somebody in your team, they're expecting something, but they've never voiced that. Right. There's, I mean, that's, that, that's one of the bigger challenges of leadership is, is just, you know, communicating, but then also allowing, um, you know, we were given these two of these, two of these right. ears for a two reason. Years, right. Yeah. And, and so, no, that's, that's, yeah, I, I, I could definitely understand that. And, you know, when, because in leadership, you know, talking to your, your troops, talking to your sailors and, you know, just working with them and understanding who they are, I think is very important. And it only makes you more, um, it makes you a better leader. And I can only imagine that, you know, how that parlays into your current work as an executive coach. Yeah. Well, I mean, so you and I are both coaches, right? You're, you mm-hmm. call yourself a business coach and a consultant mm-hmm. and I'm an executive coach and facilitator. Okay. So we've, we've submitted proposals, right? People tell us, mm-hmm. Hey, you know, Dean, I heard about you sent me a proposal. Well, someone says that to me, I go, okay, well, we need to sit down and talk because you need to tell me what to put into it. Right. I need to know a lot more about you than just giving you a menu of services. I need to understand if we're even a good fit. I need to understand if this is if this courtship is going to work and whether or not I'm I'm even able or willing to help you and vice versa. Well, and that's I mean, and that's one of my failures that I learned early on in my business is taking on clients who were not a good fit. <laughs> and Brother. And, Brother. And, <laughs> and when you when you realize this, it, it it's like, oh wait, 
what, why did I do this again? Yep. Yep. And so, you know, as I learned from that, it, it's just, and I'm sure you have too, right? You've had clients who are like, wait, why did I take this engagement? Mm-hmm. And so it, it is just one of those things that you learn as you, you know, evolve. And, um, you know, because one of the things I talk about too, is when I'm talking with, uh, you know, potential clients is, is, you know, Hey, we got to make sure we're a good fit. And if we're not a good fit, and if I know somebody that might be a better fit for you, let me connect you with them because, uh, yeah, I've had it, you know, just like you, um, <clears throat> had clients and you're, you're 30, maybe 45, maybe even 60 days into the engagement. And you're like, yeah, maybe we need to wind this one down. Yeah. And yeah, sunset it, right? But, yeah. And, and that, goes, that goes back to did we take enough time in the beginning to do the due diligence that we really needed, ask those questions, peel back the layers a little bit so that we can be clear on expectations and then manage those before they start mismanaging us. Yep. Yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. So if you, so. If you could, I know you like coffee because our first meeting was in Starbucks and you had coffee. But, <laughs> um, so if you could have coffee with a historical figure, who would you choose? Oh my gosh. A historical figure. You know, I, I there are a lot of different historical figures. And I think a lot of people who are people of faith would pick like biblical figures, right? Like mm-hmm. I'm going to have coffee with Jesus. Uh, <laughs> but because of my faith, I always do have coffee with Jesus. <laughs> That's so, true. That's so, true. So uh, I think King David. Oh, I would, I would love to. I really identify with him as a as a caricature, as a as a character. His passion, his zeal, his rewarded and unrewarded overconfidence. Um, his his devotion to his principles and and really it was devotion to his faith but i mean if you think about the the history where you know he had numerous times his sworn enemy he didn't swear that he was his enemy saul swore that david was his enemy and he had many opportunities yeah. to take out his but his, his devotion but his devotion yeah. and respect and honor his sense of honor mm-hmm. right right? Honor, courage, commitment. That's, that was what we talked about in the military. And then just when the, the things he would do for his men Mm -hmm. and the humility that he, that he brought as the King of a nation, uh, inarguably at the time, the most powerful nation in the world and his prophet, who's kind of like his chief, right? His mentor comes along and sticks his bony finger in his chest and says, you did something wrong. And and he immediately said, oh, my gosh, I did. You know, instead of saying, well, off with your head, right? <laughs> That's a whole other different story, you know, in terms of the way things worked uh, in ancient Israel and the role of, uh, the, role oh, of yeah. the prophets. But I would love, yeah, I would love, in fact, I'd love to have a, an, an on-site day or two retreat with David and just pick his brain. <laughs> hey, tell me some leadership stories. I, I should probably write that book. I don't know if any, probably somebody has, but you know, the leadership lessons of King David. Oh, that sounds like a great book. Yeah. I mean, I could, well, yeah, it's like today, like you, you you know, some leaders, we won't talk about who, but you come up and somebody tries to hold them accountable. And it's like, well, that wasn't me, but you know, King David's like immediately recognized I did, I I did something wrong. And yeah, uh, yeah, I, I can't imagine having, having coffee with him that, that would be that, 
I, I can't even imagine. I can't fathom that. Yeah. Yeah. So when you think about, you know, over the course of your, your military service, your business, who, who's been your most important professional mentor? Professional mentor. Or just who's been your, I mean, just most important mentor. Yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to, gosh, I've had a lot of mentors over the years. Uh, and, and none of them really are people that you might know by name, you know? And so I think probably the most important mentor per se that I've had is the fact that, well, yeah. Okay. I'll put it this way. The most important mentor I had is, is, honestly not a person a, any one person per se because my business is made up of an amalgamation of all different advice from different people i've gotten and, and people who have walked through me and with me through different seasons and that's the issue the issue is my most important mentor who is the is the one who i really needed at that time when an inflection point hit so the habit that i had of continuing to cultivate mentors even though some went some of them died. Some of them moved on. Some of them chose a path of life that took them down a place where I'm like, you can't be my mentor anymore. Um, you know, for there, whatever reasons, yeah, right? Yeah, for whatever no, reason. There's, there's times where you need to do that. Yeah. I mean, yeah, you got to part ways. Yeah, get that. So I don't think any one person per se is has been a great mentor overall from soup to nuts, except for that I've had a habit of cultivating the the uh, humility to ask to study and to cross check and to join groups and and bounce ideas off of people and ask them questions and i think that if you don't have a if you're a coach or a, a business owner an entrepreneur and you don't have some kind of a mastermind or a coach uh, mm -hmm. that you can that you can plug into i think that that's that's a really good and worthy investment is to make that yeah oh absolutely it, it you know, I talk to a lot of business owners They, you know, they want to go it alone and then they need the help, but they don't, it's, it, you talked about it earlier, humility, right? If you're not humble enough to ask for help and, and I've, well, you know, we sat down on that Starbucks and I said, I'm at a loss as to how to get started here. And, and we mapped it out and I was like, and then the light bulb went on, you know, it's like we're two or three are gathered together. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And so, so yeah, I, I I absolutely agree with you. It's, it's one of the things where, uh, you know, I've got two coaches right now that I, you know, different ones, a <clears throat> mindset and uh, coach and the other one's more of a business type coach that, you know, I work with and, and it is, it's the seasons you go through that really will dictate, you know, who, who do I need help from the most at this point in time in my either business or personal life, uh, and, uh, well, so this one's, I, I think this one will be a little bit easier for you. What's your favorite productivity hack for business owners or for, as you coach? Yeah. Be yourself. Be yourself. I love it's it. A huge productivity hack. Let me explain that a little bit. Um, there's a book. It's, it's probably about 10, 10, 12 years old now, uh, by a couple of Harvard professors called, um, oh, now I'm going to space on it. Uh, and everyone culture. 
It's by uh, Bob Keegan and Lisa uh, Lisa Leahy. And um, what it talks about, what the premise of the book is that every organ in every organization, people are doing two jobs. The job that they are paid for and then the job they're not getting paid for that no one really, that no one even talks about, but it's the job of, of managing their image and their reputation mm. because of shame. Yeah. Because of shame. Um, I tell people that uh, when I coach my clients, I tell people that if you really want to add value to your organization, see, there's so much that's talked about in terms of value creation, right? You can't, you can't open LinkedIn or a business blog or something without somebody talking about value creation. Oh, what kind of value are you creating for your customer? I mean, all my clients, these executives at these big companies, I got, I got, how do I add value? How do I add value? Mm -hmm. But we need to understand that value is related to values. Right. And so if we want to build a durable workforce, if we want to build an engaged workforce, if we want to build a workforce that has a thriving culture that, that leads to all the um, metrics that, that business owners are concerned about or business leaders are concerned about, mm -hmm. then we need to, and, and you and I know this because in the Navy, we did this. Mm -hmm. the care and feeding of our troops, the care and feeding of our people. Yeah. We have to, we have to attend to their values and it goes back to helping to meet their needs. So if every single person in the world walked around carrying a coin being, and I've got a bunch of challenge coins in my, uh, in my uh, drawer here, but if they each walked around carrying a coin, the coin would have two sides, of course. And one side would be their needs. They need to be seen, soothed, safe and secure mm -hmm. they need to be seen and heard right that's seen tell me i am i am a a, a valuable and 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 a visible and valid part of your organization down regulate my anxiety that's what we do for each other by the way mm -hmm. right you ever you ever been i'm sure i'm sure in fact i'm just going to say it you've been in those situations i've been in those situations where we're like ah, oh, how am i going to handle this and then somebody who we either respect or we love, who we know loves us, who we know gets us. They walk mm -hmm. in the room and they show up and they're dressed and ready to go. And they go, I'm with you, brother. I'm with you, honey. I'm with you, whatever. Yeah. And you look at them and you go, oh, it's going to be all right. What, you, what that is, is that's the soothed. That, that's a down regulation of my anxiety just because someone mm -hmm. special walked in the room. That's what we do for each other. Safe, safe is it, it, it pertains to not just physical safety, but also psychological safety, mm -hmm. right? Am I okay to be just myself here with you? And then the last thing is secure, right? Lead me, teach me how to lead. Show me that there's a career path. There's a development path for me here where I can continue to thrive and grow because that's who I am. That's one side of the coin, seen, mm -hmm. soon, safe, secure. The other side of the coin is I challenge you to find, to, to dispute this because I, and I don't think you will, I, I have not found one person who can, but everybody's walking around with two fears that, Hey, we are, we are fallen children of Adam and Eve, right? This goes back to the original story. And the first fear is I'm afraid that I'm not enough, or I'm afraid that I don't have enough, that I don't belong at this table. I don't belong in this chair. I don't belong wearing this hat. 
or this crown, whatever, right? To use a military term, right? When you wear the command hat, mm -hmm. um, that's the first fear. I, I'm not enough. And the second fear is I'm afraid that others are going to find out. And the amount, yeah, the amount of energy that we expand or, it, or expend rather, the amount of energy that we expend not being ourselves because we're afraid yep. could produce billions of dollars. <laughs> oh, that's absolutely. Why, that's, that's why I said one of the biggest gifts is that if we could create cultures where we would allow people to be themselves mm -hmm. and be accepted, but also be, you know, to be accepted, but also corrected. If, if we can, if people say are, are okay with being themselves in an organization and I am the agent of helping them be that, how likely do you think it would be for me to come and be able to offer healthy correction to that person and for them to take it and run with it and make improvements? Oh, I mean, if we had what you just talked about in the corporate environment, just in, just in, in all businesses, I mean, it, it would be so huge. I, I don't think billions is the right number. I think we're even higher than that because yeah. you're right. People, you know, I had a, a, a person that I worked with a, a long time ago, non-military, because um, you, you talked about values there for a little bit. And, and one of the things that he would always say is, you know, I believe in situational integrity. And I'm like, what? Mm. I'm like, what does that mean? Right. And, and so, and so it was one of the things that, you know, I always knew his integrity is going to be driven more by the situation versus the value of having integrity. Mm -hmm. And so your, your coin, I love that analogy and you're exactly right. I'm not going to refute the other side of the, you know, it just, because <laughs> I, you know, when you were saying that, I was thinking to myself, Hmm, that's interesting because I have had those thoughts, right? Am I, am I worthy enough to be at this table? And it's, you know, and I'll flash back to when we had that coffee and, and I, you know, we sat down and we talked and I was like, cause I, when you said that, I remembered sitting down with you and literally thinking to myself, do I deserve and am I worthy to be sitting here talking to Paul Perez? <laughs> and I'm and, sorry. And I, 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 I hope I didn't do anything to, to induce that. No, not at all. Okay. It was, but okay. it was me, you know, it was yeah. up here, you know, in our head that, you know, we're, 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 you know, our head, you know, when we're inside our head, it, it's our own worst enemy. Yeah. And, yeah. and so, but you're, you're spot on there. And, and yeah, that, I mean, wow. To have one of those coins that, that, yeah, that'd be amazing. But, uh, well, Hey, I, you know, I, to, to wind this down a little bit, I want to I want to ask you a question. So you walk into the room, there's a movie playing, and it just makes Paul want to sit down and watch. Which movie is that for you? Gosh, it just depends on the mood that I'm in, right? Oh um, uh, yeah. Top Gun would always be one of those. The it's, new one. The new one too. Oh, you know, that's an amazing either movie. one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, I love Forrest Gump. Oh yeah. I love his innocence. Yeah. You know, the word innocence that, that they use in the Greek, in the Bible, what it really means is unwounded. Mm -hmm. That's what innocence means. And so the hope in that is that we can always be, we can always return to innocence. 
the wound can heal. Sure. Right. And so that's one of the things I love about that innocence, um, the, the movie Forrest Gump. But then there's always a brave heart or a patriot, right? Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, there's, yeah. there's, my word, there's so many. I mean, give me, give me a good scene from, from just about any Denzel Washington movie, too, right? You know, oh, yeah. the equalizer. Sorry. I, you no, just, the equalizer, I'd sit down and be like, yep, I'm watching this movie. Yep. You pop the court. Yeah. Or, yeah. or, or, okay, this is the one. I will settle on this one for now. Man on fire. Oh, okay. Denzel wow. Washington's man on yeah. fire. Man on fire. That's oh, wow. a special, That's... it's a special uh, message of redemption, right? Mm -hmm. From a place that he had been dark and hopeless to where he found a purpose again. Yeah. That's yeah. Amazing story, right? I mean, amazing story. So out of the out of all the books you've read, what's the number one book you would recommend my audience and why? Oh my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> I read so many books. Um, yeah, I'm not going to say that one on your. <laughs> I was going to say one that pertains to the topic that we were talking about offline before. We... Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Uh, my gosh. Well, you know what? Okay. So there are so many. And I see your bookshelf and I know for a fact that you, your bookshelf is, you have bigger bookshelves and you have stuff on Kindle too. I just, I, I can know that about you already. And that's the way I am. I have more books that I need to get to than, than I would, than I have time to get to. Um, but there's a really good book by a friend of mine named Kurt Thompson. He's a psychiatrist. He's also a man of faith. And he wrote a book back in 2010 called the anatomy of the soul. Oh, wow. It's a, it's, it's not an easy read because he's, he's very brilliant and it's a little bit more technical, but uh, he has taken the work of a guy named Dan Siegel, who a lot of your, your audience might know. Dan is very famous for, for he's kind of the guy who coined the whole uh, field of what we call neurobiology. Kurt and Dan are friends. They've known each other for many, many years. And Kurt has actually interviewed Dan on his, on his podcast. But then he went on as a believer, as a follower of Jesus, he went on and took the whole aspect of, of the concept and, and, and field of interpersonal neurobiology. And he created a body of work at the intersection of, of interpersonal neurobiology and Christian spiritual formation. Oh, wow. And it's just a great primer if people want to understand the effect, just how, how this mechanism called the human person works and what is it that, that affects our ability to have that, I don't know, I'll call it a utopia, that thing that you said earlier, if we had this in corporate America, the thing, that's one of the, the, the it's a powerful, powerful book. It's not an easy and fast read. And then he has a, a book that's a little bit, uh, of a, a a faster read he that came out in 15 five years later called the the soul of shame oh wow okay. yeah very very powerful books so um not easy but yeah wow that's all, that, i mean sounds like pretty powerful books and yeah that it yeah i've read some books that you know it's got a you've got to take a while to get through them and you've got to you know let them soak in so no i I greatly appreciate that. And well, Paul, I can't thank you enough. 
for yes, joining me this afternoon. Uh, th this has been amazing to reconnect and, uh, you know, it's, uh, I mean, it's, <clears throat> I see you on Facebook and Instagram and, and I'm like, gosh, I gotta, you know, and I'm just so happy that you, you took the, you, you know, when I threw that fishing line out there and yeah. you took the bait. And so I greatly appreciate you coming on from battle to business podcast this afternoon. And, um, and let's, uh, we got to get that coffee on the books. We, we have to, I was chomping at the bit looking for an excuse. Do you know how it is when you get into this inertia thing where you're like, you always would like to get to something, but you're in inertia. Uh -huh. And when you threw that, I was like, okay, here's my, here's my excuse to get back together with Dean. Yeah. So, so I've been feeling the same way, bro, and uh, deeply appreciate the fact. And I wish you the absolute unlimited success, not just in your in your ventures, but uh, also with your podcasts. You got a lot of lives to touch. I appreciate that, and uh, we'll have to, uh, you know, I I'd come through and give you a big hug, but unfortunately, we can't can't <laughs> we'll do that through the. We'll but get we'll her get her done, done and we'll uh, done. you know. Again, thank you so much, and uh, we'll, we will connect soon. You got it, brother. Take care, man. Thanks for listening. In order to help others, please subscribe and share this show up with other veteran business owners in your network. If you want specific guidance, feel free to book a complimentary call with Dean at deanvandyke.com. Remember, you wouldn't go into battle alone, and now you don't have to in business.